Welcome to the Golf Betting System Podcast 80. This is our US Open preview show. This podcast is for listeners of 18 and above. I'm Steve Bamford, PGA Tour Preview at Golf Betting System, and with me we have European Tour expert Paul Williams and podcast pundit Barry O'Hanrahan. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Afternoon, guys. Good afternoon, everyone. I need you boys to prise your eyes off that Canadian Open leaderboard and focus at the, on the job in hand. <laughs> I've just been scrolling towards the bottom, Steve. That's where I start my uh, start my week. I always start down. I mean, we're so Golf close to the finish. <laughs> 66 holes to go. Like, I'm so close to getting a winning bet through. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine what he's going to be like Friday afternoon mm-hmm. or Friday evening. The cut sweat. Yeah. Go- <laughs> Cuts were, yeah. Golfbettingsystem.co.uk is our website. Naturally, we're available on social media. You can join our Golf Betting System Facebook group. As ever, the the uh, link to that is in our the, the uh, description box of the podcast. Our Twitter handles, I'm at Bamford Golf. Paul is at Golf Betting. Barry is at A Good Talk Golf. This podcast is available on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Audio Boom, and a myriad of different pod channels. Now, for your reference, our US Open tip show will be out early next week. So, of course, please look out for that. Naturally, subscribe and follow the podcast. Our currency are rate you guys rating us and reviewing us on iTunes. So, if you could do that before next Monday, I will read your review out on our US Open tip show next week, of course. Uh, leave your name in the review so we can read it out on the podcast. So if you give us some um, some ratings and reviews for before US Open recording next Monday, that'd be fantastic. Right, chap. Chaps, even. We have the US Open kicking off next week at Pebble Beach. Um, I was looking at the weather forecast today, the long-range weather forecast. And I did start tittering with laughter, it has to be said, because uh, I'm not seeing any significant rain this side of the first tea time at the US Open next Thursday. Mm. Firm and if fast. If there's one thing, yeah, if there's one thing you want at <laughs> Pebble Beach at the US Open, it is lightning fast fairways and lightning fast crusty Poana greens. Are they going to get those greens up to Steve? Do you think? 13, 14. They'll be, they'll be purple, I think, by the end of the Sunday. I don't know. Um, you'd you'd hope they can get them up to about sort of 13, mm. 13 and a half, wouldn't you? Yeah, I suppose it does depend on the on the wind, doesn't it? But um, yeah, that's going to be got to be just what we want. I I, think. I haven't gone into any detail around it yet. I've had my head in um, Pebble Beach scoring over the last few years. Um, which we'll come to in a little while. But um, I read that generally it's been very, very dry in that part of California. Mm. And the bits I've caught on YouTube, some of which I know that you guys have seen as well, um, the course does look particularly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, pretty pretty firm already. Still green in its colour, but you can just see the green speeds. I, I saw a video the other day of um, Le- Lefty doing a bit of practicing on the tenth green, and he just chipped it up on the green, and it was the ball was just rolling very, very nicely. Mm. And you know, you're still ten days away at yeah. that point. Yeah, 
I think they've got the course exactly where they want it. Yeah, well, exactly. You know, they, they want it to be a, a strong test. I mean, traditionally, the US Open is always the toughest of the majors, anyway, isn't it? But um, we know from experience from the from the Pebble Beach hosted US Opens that we've had over the last um, couple of decades. It's you know, pars a great score unless your name's Tiger Woods. Pars a very strong score for four rounds around uh, mm. around Pebble Beach with the US Open setup. So uh, they're going to get what they want, which is great. We're going to see these uh, see these professionals have to play some really strong attritional golf to to hang about uh, at the top of the leaderboard. Can't wait. Yeah. What do you what remember? Do you, like- what do you want to see at Pebble, Baron? Maybe not quite as extreme as when it went 2010. Like the final round was absolutely just... I can't imagine playing golf on that course. Like It would just make you cry. It looked so, so, so difficult. I, I Look, we all know the USGA are obsessed with protecting par and having to score around even par, no matter how many times they protest it, blah, 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 blah. I would st- I'd love to see the greens extremely firm and bouncy non-receptive but also not rolling at about 13 or 14 i wouldn't mind you know if they're at 12 and they're firm you get those little tiny power buds coming up they're going to be difficult enough to put on anyway mm. the rough's going to be up the fairways rolling out i mean if they i think if they put those green get those greens up to 13 13 and a half good luck to anybody getting near level par especially if they get a little bit of wind up yeah um doesn't look too yeah. breezy right now, but it's you know that can change so quickly, and you can get like yeah, of course it's just a even just a twelve fifteen mile an hour wind when a course is really firm and bouncy, um, and with those tiny greens, it, it would just be carnage if they were rolling at you know thirteen fourteen. So ideally, yeah. I'd like to see it bouncy, but also not too fast on the greens. But I guess um, it's just the, the annual waiting for uh, to see how the USGA can cause a controversy with every US <laughs> Open. So, um, every, and the thing is, they they're just in a no win situation now because everybody's waiting to pounce on anything that goes wrong. So, um, I, I, it's going to be fun to watch anyway. Um, and just and hope and just hopefully we go without too many, without any big issue cropping up. Yeah, I guess compared to some of the venues that we've had over the last few years, it's going to be a bit more, you know, what we expect from a US Open in terms of, you know, par being a good score and uh, players having to uh, having to play defensive golf rather than uh, you know some of the big big tracks that we've seen over the last uh, last few years that uh, have encouraged a different type of player and a different type of winner back to uh, back back to conventional US Open for me I think yeah yeah and they have a bit more experience with uh, with running obviously tournaments at Pebble with the uh, the ATT AT&T Pro Am every year mm. and also this being yeah. the 6th US Open at Pebble so They've got that kind of experience to help them with the course. Um, I guess there's only so far the AT&T can go to helping them because that's played in January and this is going to be in June. So mm. the uh, <clears throat> the climate's very different and the course is going to be different. But they, you know, by and large, you, they have a much better chance of getting this right than they have uh, the last few years if they wanted to get as close to the sun as possible, which <laughs> seems to be their... Um, 
to their detriment every year. They just can't help themselves. So um, I wonder, I wonder if they'll be a little bit more conservative this year, this time, just to just to avoid anything going a little bit uh, blowing up in their face. Yeah, the course should take care of itself. They just need to let the players go out and and, and play it, don't they? You don't need to be mm. tinkering or trying to manufacture winning scores. Just uh, the, the course is good enough and strong enough to uh, to, to, to encourage the, the correct score at the end of the at the end of the four rounds. So just just let it be and uh, and let's see what see what happens. I thought Erin Hills a few years ago was a weird US Open um, course. It was it was a modern course, wasn't yeah. it? And you know it had huge one runway type fairways. It was just Bomberville. Um, how that was ever going to work as a US Open venue, God only knows. I don't think they got the fairway conditions they were looking for because there'd been too much rain in the build up. But they set themselves up for a fail there for, for from the start. Yeah. I think Shinnecock last year was a bit more traditional US Open. Clearly, you know, a traditional course, an old-style course. But even that played to the Bombers because in the course setup, they went away from the old-style US Open of, of tight landing areas on the fairways and they went back to the, the original design of Shinnecock, which again was very, very wide yeah. fairways. And some of them are madly and wide. And again, that just that just that just played to the bombers yeah. again, didn't it? When you got a, you... now that isn't gonna be the case this week. You know, Pebble Beach, it, you know, just the the tightness of the golf mm. course, the length of the golf course, the fact that so many of the fairways run adjacent to, you know, cliff top, cliff top edges, you know, they they, they cannot play with the course too much to, to to even get close to ruining the actual uh, the concept of it off the tee um it's it's just how they get what they're going to do in terms of the the rough i would assume it's going to be graduated rough as 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 has been the usga's want recently and it's just how they're going to set up those greens those green speeds yeah as you say there's there's only so much they can really play with at Pebble because it's such a great yep. golf course. Yep. Let's not let's not tempt fate. <laughs> what kind of target score would you be more than happy with? For me, if if the winner was at three, four, five under, I'd be that'd be fine. US Open, that'd be good. Happy with that. Doesn't have to be a plus one, plus three finish. No, that's totally fine. Because if some if somebody gets to seven or eight under par, there's probably only going to be a dozen players under par. Maybe fifteen at most if if somebody gets a seven or eight under. Mm. So I'm totally fine with that. I don't like par. Par is just such a silly concept. It, you know, it's whoever takes the lowest amount of strokes. So I mean, like we said on the pod there earlier in the week, just uh, call it a par sixty eight, mm. or call it a par seventy four, and let everybody shoot loads under. It like. Par is just for for ease of, ease of keeping track of it when you're a TV TV viewer. Um, so yeah, I'm not too pushed either way. Yeah, I guess there's a psychological element of that as well, though. Where you know players who mm-hmm. are trying to make birdies and and you know save pars, and if these par fours are being you know par fives are being called par fours, and generally they're playing to four point five or you know or more, then you know it's, it can be uh, it, it can be mentally straining for the players to to be to be battling for you know for for 
for bogeys and pars all the time rather than birdies. But that's, that's the nature of the game. And for me, I think somewhere around level pars fine. And going back to the um, you know the last few years, we've had uh, Kepka winner Aaron, Aaron Hill was a sixteen under. I think that's just that's not a US Open for me. I mean, last year was much closer, wasn't it? It was one over. And um, even going back to Oakmont where DJ won um, four under. Yeah, that 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 was close enough to you know to level par all the way around there to uh, uh, to be just about right for me. So yeah, somewhere in that kind of bracket, I think. Steve, to answer your question, somewhere you know, kind of par, give or take a, a shot or three. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Okay, let's have a, just a little walk around the course quickly. Pebble Beach Golf Links. It's a it's a public golf course. There are tens of thousands of players every year at Pebble Beach, and uh, Coastal Golf Course. The the uh, the course itself sits on the Carmel Bay Cliffs. Um, it's uh, par for this will be a par seventy one. So you know a lot of listeners will be uh, used to Pebble Beach in terms of the AT and T AT and T Pro Am that they play there, the National Pro Am. Mm. But for this, instead of it playing as a par seventy two, it plays as a par seventy one. And they also lop on a couple of hundred yards to the distance of the golf course as well. So it plays around about 7,050 yards in length. Uh, of course, one of the uh, par fives, the one that's early on in the round, actually becomes a par four for this. It actually uh, also contains, of course, the postage stamp par three, uh, which is one of the most famous, if not the most famous, hole in golf. And uh, Jack Nicklaus, famous for saying if there was only, if he could only ever play one final round, it would be at Pebble Beach Golf Course. It's uh, very, very iconic. Now, going back to 2000, this was the course where Tiger Woods, of course, won his, uh, his US Open by 15 shots, which was a record for a major championship, which still stands. He shot 12 under to win this. Yes, and you've worked it out. The next best play was at three over par. And in 2010, our own Graham McDowell won this. And he won this on a level par total from Frenchman Gregory Havre. I remember it well. Both of those leaderboards had a very European feel to them, didn't they, by the end? You know, and um, mm. you know clearly Tiger won, but uh, below Tiger in two thousand, you had Ernie Els, Miguel Angel Jimenez, um, John Houston, and then Pad- Pad- Patrick Harrington and Lee Westwood. So you had a, you know a strong mm. European contingent there, and as you say, G Mac from from Avray, and then Els was third again in twenty ten. So it's clearly from a European tour perspective, I'm talking. Um, you know these players um, clearly. Uh, can, can contend and, uh, and compete at uh, Pebble Beach on a, yeah. on a US track. Keimer was involved as well in the top mm. tip. Just European players, There's full stop. Europe. Yeah, you know they've they've got that. Um, they're used to playing firmer, faster courses. Yeah, and they get more exposure to links tracks as well, don't they? So, um, in general, from the uh, from, from the from the European tour schedule, so it makes a level of sense, doesn't it? Although you'd have done very well to pick Gregory Avray out before the before the event in 2010, but uh, it was probably like eight thousand to one, to one yeah. or something ridiculous, three hundred or something. Yeah, 
It does give you hope, though, that if you're looking for the odd long shot, there could be a long shot that gets in the mix yeah. in this. Just, just some takings from me, and this is, you know, clearly something that we will all take a different view on. Of the eleven players in 2010 who finished in the top ten, if you get me, including ties, eight of those players had already finished in the top 10 around Pebble Beach. And of those, seven had actually got that top 10 in an AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. The only exception to that was Ernie Els, who had only played Pebble Beach the once, as you said, Paul, at the 2000 US Open, where he clearly finished in second position behind Tiger Woods. So on this, you know, if we're looking for players with experience of the course, I don't see that as a that can't be a negative this week in any way, shape, or form. No, I mean they're still playing the same course, aren't they? It's just it's in in much um, easier conditions, you know, softer conditions, mm. um, shorter course. Um, you know, the par seventy two rather than seventy one, and uh, you know, the pin pin positions for the pro am are clearly going to be in uh, far more favourable positions than they will be next week for the uh, for the US Open. Graham McDowell had played at the Pebble Beach Pro-Am three times and he'd had a highest finish of eighth in 2005. Mm. Tiger Woods, when he won in 2000, he'd, uh, he'd already finished first that particular year at the AT&T Pro-Am. Mm. So, yeah, so Phil Mickelson is more than likely to win this year <laughs> if we run off that rule of thumb. But as he said in one of his videos now, he's got to the stage where he's he he was uh, absolutely over the moon that he'd finished top of driving distance throwing out his bombs at Muirfield last week, missing the cut. <laughs> he thought that was absolutely he's, fantastic did, that he'd actually yeah. finished highest of the driving distance. Do you think he's getting a bit stats. kind of obsessed with this? And, and, you know, obviously you look at the, the youngsters out there on the uh, on the tour and think, you know, oh, I can I can do that. I can compete with them. I can I can get my clubhead speed up to the same kind of level. I can I can try and take these players on. But um, there's there's no prizes for topping driving distance than going home without a check at the end of the week, is there? I, I'm glad he acknowledged tongue in cheek that uh, he did miss the cut. Hmm. So I I don't know what was whether he's using it as a tune up for some part of his game or. Why he did it? Did he even care about winning at Muirfield Village? He's just trying to prove a point. Um, I th- I th- the inner workings of Phil's mind are quite fascinating. Be, yeah. um, but it, it, it looks like he can just well from his Instagram post. It seems like he's just mentally switched off that already, and he's you know switching his focus to what's required at Pebble Beach. Um, yeah, maybe his the strategy of pure length at Muirfield Village is not quite the the, the one to that would work there. No, but it's not exactly the perfect uh, warm up for Pebble Beach either, where length isn't going to be an issue next week, particularly with the roll that they're going to get on the fairways. It's going to be far more about precision and strategy than uh, you know, knocking the knocking the stripes off the golf ball. Mm, maybe he just needed to get it out of his system before yeah, he gets to Pebble. <laughs> yeah, it's, maybe. who knows. I don't even. Does Phil even he's know ne- at this stage? Yeah, he, he, he's he's never had a great record at Muirfield Village. It isn't his kind of golf course, really. But um, what do you guys perceive as the must-haves 
for the US Open next week in terms of what players need in their locker? I think you're gonna you got you've got to have a razor sharp short game for me. It's it is gonna be firm, it's gonna be fast, the greens are tiny, aren't they? Um and players are going to be missing an inordinate amount of greens and regulation. And you go back to yep. to uh, 2010 when, when GMAC won. He won with less than 60% greens and regulation that week. So he's scrambling 40% of the time. You've got to have an incredible short game to continually get up and down, particularly with the speed of those greens. Um, you, you know, you, you're going to be battling for par so so often that if your short game isn't up to scratch you just you just aren't going to stay at the kind of level where you're going to be competitive at the end of the week so so yeah for me it's going to be won or lost on and around the greens and uh, a lot of patience and uh, a lot of finesse with the uh, chipping and putting I think yeah I, Barry yeah I don't disagree back again to that um you know, th- things we're going to look at from players in recent tournaments that will kind of help you kind of narrow down the field. And one of the ones we identified was scrambling, you know, recent performances scrambling. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got to carry an awful lot of weight. Um, it's, hard, it's hard to know, kind of, obviously you're going to need to be hitting the ball pretty well off the tee. And I think though, I think approach shots, kind of in that one in and around that 150 range either side of it um if we can find somebody who's trending well in that kind of area uh, that'll help you know that combination of that plus good scrambling um with the with the score going to be well let's let's assume the score is in around level par i don't think being amazing at putting for the week is um a necessity you just don't need to be bad you know, you can be in, if you're in the, I'd say top third or top quarter of the field for putting, you don't need to be the top few, I don't think. Um, but yeah. I'm open to massive correction on that if I've Well, if I've no, we'll, we'll say, I, if you look at Woods again, I mean, Woods, the performance, Woods all round, what he won in 2000 was exceptional, wasn't it? But he was fourth for, for Puttsburg Greens and Regulation, as the stat was back in those days. Um, and uh, and GMAC was ninth for, for the same stat. So clearly, uh, they'd uh, they'd got a measure of the the greens and the speed, and when they did hit the green uh, in the requisite number, they were, they were capable of uh, converting enough chances to to get himself into a, a decent uh, a decent overall score. What, what I consist what I consistently read in player interviews is you've always got to play you know you've always got to play strategic golf around there, missing the right places and always be below the hole, as they say. That's the key to it here, which is easier said than done, isn't it? If I just, if you run, if I run you through the numbers, bearing in mind Tiger Woods clearly, clearly played one of the most perfect majors of, that's ever been played. He was first for driving distance, 14th for fairways hit. He was first for greens in regulation and that was at 70.8% GIR. Mm. So even then you're still missing almost two thirds of greens. He was 66.7 for scrambling, so he's getting up and down two in three times, and he putted at 1.59 putts per GIR. If we go to someone a bit more human, Graham McDowell, 43rd for fairways hit, which was quite low for him. He was actually, though, get this, 7th for driving distance at 303 yards, so he was basically hitting 
driver on everything, and he had the confidence to do that. I think he ended up something like 11th for total driving in the week, which actually goes against Graham McDowell. You'd expect him to be good in, good on fairways hit and shorter on the driving distance. It would work the other way. He was 58.3% for greens in reg, and that was still good enough for 13th. That's exactly what you're mm. saying, Paul. He was up and down 50% of the time. So one in two. He was 10th for scrambling, and he was 1.64 putts per GIR. So in the he was ninth, just in the top 10 for putting. So if you average that out, driving distance 4th, driving accuracy 29th, greens and regs 7th, scrambling 6th, putting average 7th. So being long off the tee is not a bad thing at Pebble, as long as you are relatively straight. Yeah. Clearly, you've got to be great with your irons, great with your approach play around the par fives. And, of course, you must have a fantastic scrambling and sand save game behind you. I think, yeah. And as you said, as long as, you're, as long as you're not making a huge amount of mistakes on the putting greens with three putts and four putts, um, you're going to be there or thereabouts. Yeah, I, I think you, you know if, this, if the course is set up how we think it's going to be and it's running firm and fast, these players are going to be getting 30, 40 yards of roll, aren't they, out of the out of the tee shots? So I don't. I, oh, yeah. I think the accuracy stat will drive the driving distance stat. So if you're hitting the fairways and able to get that roll, then your driving distance stats are going to be relatively strong and that's going to get I think you're going to need that I think you to, to hold some of these greens you're going to need to be coming in with very short irons um, and wedges so um, you know it, it's going to set up for a good strong all-round test but I think ultimately to win this tournament you've got to be very very strong um, on and around the greens something like uh, kind of pots inside 10 foot you know, if you're scrambling, you're, you're going to have to have a reasonable scrambling stat. You're going to have to have something along those lines. And it's not always going to be possible to get your, uh, let's say, chip shot from off the green inside a nice little mm. three, four foot window. Uh, then again, but sure, we all know how difficult it is, like calling it whether a player is going to go very well with puts inside 10 foot on any given week. I mean, it seems like every week you have one guy who has like 56 from 56 inside of 10 foot. <laughs> Yeah. And hasn't telegraphed it at all, and you just don't know where the magic's come no, from. No, no. It just sinks up. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts? I mean, what about like um, apex height of irons? Is that what, do you think that has any relevance to things? You know, you get your ball coming in a bit more vertically. Well, does that does that I think only it helps? Like like Paul said, if you can, if you can actually get the ball further down the fairway with the. Uh, you know, and you're coming in with shorter irons. Mm. That that does stack up, doesn't it? But it, but then you know, if if we're looking at typical pebble conditions, a, mo- a lot of these holes are gonna, everyone's gonna be taking drive, uh, taking irons or utility woods off the tee. Yeah. On some of these holes, if you actually get too much roll, you're actually rolling off off the cliff into the uh, into the sea. Some of these cliff, yeah. you know, the cliff top holes. I can definitely see one of each of our bets that happening to them during the week. <laughs> it's just... it goes with it. It goes now. With if you're looking, I tell you what. I always look at how well a player performed the outing before they actually, or the outing, or a couple of outings before they actually won the mm. title. And when I look at GMAC, he was first at Celtic Manor the week uh, two weeks before he won at Pebble Beach. And that particular week, he was twelfth for driving accuracy. First for greens in regulation, seventh for putting average. He was first for total driving, and he was second for all round. If I go to Tiger Woods, he was third at Memorial, 
15th for driving average, 2nd for GIR, 13th for putting average, 2nd for total driving and 1st for all round. And that to me highlights exactly where I think we need to be with players from the last couple of weeks at Colonial and Muirfield Village. Clearly, clearly we don't know what the play is going to um, bring up over the weekend up in Canada at Hamilton, but we can bear that in mind early next week. But those are the kind... I, I'm looking for a player or players that are very, very comfortable with their driving as they arrive at Pebble Beach. Yeah. I'm not looking for players that are spraying it all over the place. No, and you, you know, you're never going to come to a US Open and find your game. You need to be coming in with coming in with some some semblance of form. Um, even if you know a lot of these players now are deliberately peaking or attempting to peak for these big events, and that's fine. You know, if that's the that's the way they play the game. But if there's some subtle signs um, that we're seeing, and you know, some key key stats from these players and that, that can really point you in the right direction I think hmm. if I can add some um, a sprinkle of pebble form to that as well clearly you're really starting to hit the sweet spot mm. I think um, and that kind of brings us on to a piece of work that we've done Paul um, in terms of um, the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am is played across four rounds, two of which aren't actually on Pebble Beach Golf Course. So if you make the cut, you're only playing a maximum of 36 holes at Pebble Beach. And what we'll do in the podcast description is put you through to a little bit of research that we've done. Basically, going back from 2011 and looking at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am results and looking, splitting out only the rounds that people have played on Pebble Beach golf links. So that that includes 11 through 19, which by my rudimentary maths is nine renewals. Is that right? Do you want to hear the top 10? Go for it. Only if they contain my fancies. Well, Hideki Matsuyama's never played Pebble Beach, Barry, so that doesn't help in that regard. Well, but, he, can't, he can't be afraid of it then. This is good. You know, always spin it positively. No negative vibes. Zero. Now, to, just to be clear here, this includes only rounds on Pebble Beach, and it can inc- this, this average score, in some circumstances, includes a player that's only ever played a very small amount of rounds around Pebble. Because a lot of the people in the field don't tend to play the AT&T National. Now, that can be for a couple of reasons. One, they don't like Pebble Beach. Two, they don't like Pro-Ams, or a combination of both. It's, you know, it's how they schedule their PGA Tour um, lives. But top ten. Uh, 10, Jimmy Walker. And that is an impressive number on the basis that Jimmy Walker has played every AT&T National from 2011 through 2019. Yeah. 69.53 averages around Pebble. Bearing in mind, these numbers are also based upon a part of 72. Nine, joint ninth. Uh, we have John Rahm. In fact, it'd be top seventh, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, joint seventh. Aaron Wise, Brooks Kepka, and John Rahm. They sit on 69.5. In sixth spot, another impressive number. Your favourite and my favourite, Paul. Branch Schnedeker, 69.31. He has played every AT&T uh, 
national apart from one in 2012. So that's an impressive number. Uh, at five is Paul Casey. Uh, sorry, at joint fourth, Paul Casey and Brandon Grace. They're sitting on 69.25. Uh, they've both played four rounds each across 2018 and 2019. Then we have, in third spot, Xander Chauflay. You can kind of look at this in various amounts of lights, but effectively he has only ever played one competitive round at Pebble Beach back in 2017. He shot a three-under 69. Uh, we then have at two, Daniel Berger at 68.5. And at number one, da, 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 it's Gary Woodland. He has got an average around Pebble Beach in four rounds across 2011, 2017, and 2018. Two of, the, uh, three, uh, two of those three tournaments, he actually missed the cut. But when he was on Pebble Beach, he averaged 68 across four rounds on the national on the uh, Pebble Beach course. And he just give him just give him the, the trophy. Analysis. Just give it to him now. That's it. Big <laughs> Gary's time. Stop the podcast. Yes, Barry, um, ne- Barry needs to load up on, on that, Gary Woodland. That's it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Gotta go sell my car and we, everything else. <laughs> we <laughs> will put a link through to um the full statistics. Uh, we, I'm going to write an article later today around it. We've also got a full set of statistics which will highlight uh, Pebble Beach top 10s going back and all of these average scores and whatever. I thought I would also just mention some of the guys that are at the bottom. We have Johnny Vegas, Justin Thomas, Abraham Anser, Ricky Fowler, Sepp Stracker, and the worst of all, Luke List. Mm. In two rounds on the Pebble Beach golf course that he's played, he averages 78, six over par. Not great. And those numbers for the likes of Fowler and Thomas, are they, those two are going to be you know, relatively well-fancied players next week. And that is a bit, a bit of an eye-opener. I know, again, you have to take all of these numbers with a... Yeah, it's all a pinch of yeah. salt, yeah. You know, people will be tweeting out, oh, you can't base it on one round. But yes, we're just throwing all the data out there, and it's kind of data I find quite interesting. Another player who I cannot believe plays so poorly around Pebble Beach is a guy that's been in such good nick this year, Rory Sabatini. Mm. He really struggles at, at uh, on Pebble Beach. There's no doubt about that. He averages 73.58, and he plays the AT&T National every single year. Mm. Just does not get on with the golf course. No, as you say, that's from a lot of attempts that he's uh, he's made that on that track as well. So um, some players clearly just can't can't get their head around it, and that doesn't bode well when you're going to be attacking it with uh, a US Open setup. I don't think. I find that so interesting about Ricky. This is because it seems like every time he tees it up. You can look at the stats and go, yeah, Ricky's a great fit. Ricky's a great fit. Ricky's a great fit. Mm. Week on week on week. This is probably the first time in as in that, that I can remember that there's something glaring there saying this this is not a great fit for Ricky. Mm. I mean, in in theory, it should be like he's great at scrambling, putting, you know, long games and good, you know, is 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 pretty damn good. But for some reason, the golf course doesn't seem to uh, to work with them. 
No, see, I expect he wins, Barry. More than likely, people, yeah. People, you know, I, we're all at, we're here to you know get garner our opinions and give our opinions. I've always said, I I think I think uh, Poana putting for Ricky, even though he grew up in California, I think he struggles with. I I just genuinely think that, and I think you can tell a lot from players' schedule, uh, schedules. If he 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 hasn't played here since um, it was, I think it was twenty eleven. You know, he just doesn't want to play Pebble Beach. Mm. Now, whether that's because he hates pro-ams, you know, we can all go through that. It just doesn't fit because he wants to play um, Scottsdale and whatever. Yeah, that's that's all relevant. But if you really wanted to play a golf course, you'd play it, wouldn't you? Yeah. And he just doesn't seem to want no. to. No. So he goes and wins by three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the last time he played, just for listeners and to be accurate, it was 2012. He missed the cut. And, yes, he shot... 76. Interesting stuff. As you say, yeah, we're, we're in the process of building a page to summarise all of that. So, um, so readers yeah. can come through and digest at their will once that's up and running. Now, over to you guys. Have you targeted or have you got a number of players that you've got a real interest or you've got on your shortlist for next week? Yeah, I've, I think we kind of touched on it with some of the podcasts that we've done recently and that um, the way the markets are being formed with the majors at the moment and the, the fact that you're getting such different and differential each way terms as you get closer to the event. Um, I, the the anti-post markets for me hold little little interest, I must say. Um, but in terms of names... Um, I've backed Xander Schofley on the last two majors and um, I see absolutely no reason to not continue doing that uh, this week coming. Um, I think there's, you know, it was a good run out for him um, last time out at the Memorial. Um, there's some good stats that we saw from his uh, from his long game as well. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, for me, for, yeah, he was what, his first for total driving, first for ball striking that week. Finished 14th, which is nicely... You know, um, slightly under the radar without being, um, you know, without having any alarm bells ringing whatsoever. And we know that Xander. First, first, he was first for strokes gained off the tee. Yeah. Fifth for stroke. Uh, he was 13th strokes gained tee to green. Yeah. And as you said, first for total driving. And bearing in mind what I said earlier about GMAC and Woods mm. in their outing before. That sound that's that feels pretty perfect. Oh yeah, I mean this total driving stand. You touched on it in the um, the, the pre-event preview that you've published on the site. The um, the total driving stats of the previous six winners prior to winning um, were twenty fifth, first, first, sixteenth, first, eighth. So three of the six winners there um, on their previous start produced a total driving um, rank of first and. At Memorial, on his last start before the US Open, Xander Schofle was first for total driving. Now, if that trend's going to continue and become four out of seven, then either Xander or whoever wins this week um, is likely to be the winner. You, know, you, you, you can't base your picks and your bets purely on statistical trends like that, but some things do st- stand, stand out. The other one that you picked out in your preview piece um, was nine of the last 12 winners had a top um, 13 all-round ranking on their previous start. And again, Xander was eighth for 
all round category on his previous round, start. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. you know he, he ticks yeah, yeah, both yeah. boxes there. And on top of that, we know you've got a player who is very much looking like a future major champion, and um, who is deliberately and actively peaking for the for the big events. Um, a lot to like, and I don't think his price is too prohibitive. I'm seeing 28s. I know, I know how this golf betting works, chaps. And we were all on Xander last last time at the PGA Championship, and we were kind of counting our place money, weren't we? And then he went <laughs> bogey, 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 bogey. And I just know that if I walked away from Xander and said, oh, "I'm not backing him again," he will yeah. win. So. We said this a while ago, didn't we, Barry? Xander is almost a major auto bet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I cannot see a way that Xander will n- not... Sorry. He will be in my uh, tips, I think, next week. Because he, he, he seems ripe yeah. for me. Yeah. yeah. He's so ripe you, for it. What's market leading? 28 to 1 right now. I mean, if you can get 28 to 1 in 10 places, that's... Um... That's maximum auto bet. Mm-hmm. Well, not maximum auto bet, but I'm just saying it's an it's a definite auto bet. Yeah, <laughs> not 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 all of your bank. You'll be, re- you'll be remortgaging, Barry. Yeah, not all of your bank. Listen, it's going to be hard for him to win when Gary Woodland is you know lifting the trophy. But if <laughs> you know if Xander comes second, that's a good full uh, full place payout. You know, happy days. Um, yeah. Just to be just to be clear with listeners, Gary Woodland in his last outing at Muirfield Village was 39th for all round, and as we said on last week's podcast, he was second from last for scrambling. But apart from that, he was very very mm. good. But he he knows how to shoot low scores around there, yeah. Gary. Yeah. I mean, going back to trends, and you know, clearly you've picked out those two, which are re- which are really strong. And um, the other one, again, if you read through your. Um, preview piece um, every winner going back to 2003 where you started the analysis has ranked in the top 80 in the world rankings at the point at which they won as well so again if you want to get to a point where you can make a, a very quick um, slice of the field and get it down to a manageable level um, and, and we're talking taking nearly two thirds of the field out actually um, then if you assume that trend's going to continue, then, you know, yes, you, it, it could be completely wrong and someone who's 81st or 103rd or whatever wins this week or next week coming. Um, but if you want to just take a very quick knife to the entire field and um, just go from the 80 upwards in terms of the OWGR, and uh, I think you're down to a field then of around about 68, 70, something like that. And, uh, you know, that trend could well continue. This it, Event tends to drive out a winner who is from the uh, from the upper echelons of the uh, of the world ranking, and quite rightly so, I think. And um, there's another piece that uh, went out today, which um, I read just quickly read from Dave Tyndall. Um, so check out his Twitter, and Dave tends to put out these uh, trends pieces before um, big majors, and uh, there's some some really interesting stuff on in the piece that Dave put out there as well, um, in t- to do with. Uh, how old winners have been and uh, uh, what they've done in the previous uh, season and stuff. And uh, that drives out some I names. I hear Barry slobbering in the background. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it, 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 it drives out a name that I know Barry's been quite interested with. Haven't you, Barry? Well, I see, I just, I went a, I went a major too early with them, I think. That's, um, I mean, that's my excuse now. Is this anyway, after your I'm premonition, sticking. Barry? 
hindsight's tw- I, I just I just pictured him picking up the wrong trophy. Maybe it was a blurry premonition. And I just had the wrong trophy being lifted, um, and also forgot that Brooks Kepka is just a, an animal when it comes mm. to big, big, long golf courses. Um, yeah, so you know Hideki's been kind of popping up into my head again the last few days. Uh, I don't know if he's um, kind of got that Gary Woodland hold over me quite yet. Um, that it, it's funny you mentioned that uh, you have to stick with Xander Xander Schauffele, Steve. Like Woodland's kind of become like yeah. that to me. Um, mm. You know, live by him or die by him. But um, yeah, my, Hideki. You know, he's, uh, he played well at Memorial. Lots of parts of the game are in good shape. Um, a little, a little bit of concern over the short game and putting. Um, but if he can get himself into kind of, say, the top 10, 15 in greens and regulation, that takes a bit of pressure off that part of his game. And uh, he's he's got that um, patient demeanor that I think is going to be extremely important next week at Pebble Beach. Um, I, I think that top 80 uh, calling of the field maybe expanded to 100 just to give yourself that little safety buffer mm. of a couple of extra players um, before you start uh, cutting down by other criteria. But yeah, I, I agree that I think it's going to take a really top, top quality player to to win at Pebble Beach. Um, you just can't fake it around there. No. So... I think that's a good a, a good way to especially if you're if you're seeking out the winner. Obviously you can um you can look a little bit deeper if you're if you're looking to get somebody at very long odds to get yourself a nice place payout, especially I'm sure a lot of the bookies we might get three what was it? We had three going ten places at the PGA. Was it maybe one more? No, there was five. five. There was five. Five five went with ten places each way at the PGA. So you'd you'd like to think that they'd do the same again. You wouldn't. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me if somebody went for eleven, just to be di- just to be different. Just to be different, yeah. Just to be different. But you know, so I think, um, yeah. Hideki, I'll, re- Hideki. I'll recap Hideki's numbers from Muirfield because they were very impressive. Third for strokes gain off the tee. He was fourth for strokes gain tee to green. Uh, he was what was he? He was. 44th for accuracy, which kind of concerns me slightly. But he was 7th for greens and regulation. And he was f- uh, 25th for total driving, 5th for all round. So not a bad set of numbers from Hideki. Um, clearly, you know, he's a great scrambler. We know that. The, the question with Hideki is, can he putt on Poana? And he has not played a competitive round of golf at, uh, at Pebble Beach. What you don't, so that works yeah. against him. He's got, no, 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 no. Don't be It's just like he, he, nothing there scares him. Whereas the rest of them all have, you know, mental scars around the place. Uh, look, that's, I think a little bit, a little bit of experience around there would, uh, would definitely help a lot. Um, yeah, but then Gregory Havry was second there with no experience. And we had Martin Keimer making his course debut last year and getting the top 10. So it isn't the be-all and end-all. No, and I wonder I wonder how... But it is a downside. Yeah, it's a negative point against... I mean, I wonder... Yeah. Look, the, the, the way the course plays in January for the Pro-Am versus how it plays now, it, it's, chalk, it's going to be chalk and cheese. The routing Agreed, is yeah. obviously the same. Um, you know, the holes don't move, but... 
the way it's set up, the narrowness of the fairways, the speed and firmness of everything um, versus January when it's set to be able to not kill the amateurs. Um, yeah. So I don't think he's at an extreme disadvantage. And, uh, yeah, I'd say he's gone and played a couple of practice rounds. Yeah, you'd hope so. When we, uh, yeah, you'd hope so. I'm sure he has. When we when we look at the betting, I know it's a kind of false market at the moment. We haven't got anyone offering ten places. We don't we don't know the bookmakers' full hands as it stands. But what we do know is that Brooks Kepko is the seven to one favourite for the the championship, the defending champion, going for a three time. I think he'd be the second only person to do it. And the guy that's done it was Willie something or other. I can't remember his name. Way back, some guy. Um, second is Dustin Johnson, who clearly is Mr. Pebble Beach. Uh, he's at eight to one. You've then got Tiger Woods at 12s. You've got Rory McIlroy at 16s. Jordan Spieth, 18s. Justin Rose, 22 to 1. Uh, and Patrick Cantlay at 20 to 1. Ju- uh, Ricky Fowler and John Rahm at 25s. Uh, and it's 28 to uh, 28 bar outside of that, Day and Thomas. If you're looking at those top two, are you still in the camp of Kepka on the basis that he actually wins majors, where DJ tends to um, not win majors at that price? It's a difficult one, isn't it? I'm taking Kepka over DJ. It's, um, He's a closer. Yeah, it's one one point in the difference, and DJ has as as well as he plays Pebble. He still has that ghost of 2010, the 82 in the final round hanging over him. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I, I was going to come on to it in a second, but I might as well bring it up now. We um, we asked our uh, Facebook group members, as we've done in the last few few um, majors, just to give us some views on, on the field. And overwhelmingly, Dustin Johnson came out top um, of the views and the feedback that we got from... Uh, from the guys on the Facebook group, um, very much so over Brooks Kepka as the, the two market leaders. Um, I'll just read you some of the comments on, on DJ. Um, Jason Eaton said that uh, DJ was close at Bethpage, but arguably firm and fast suits him more and Kepka less. Do you agree with that, guys? Mm. I think we, we, we know how well he plays. Pebble Beach, so he's got a very um, good record of Lynx Golf, isn't mm. he, DJ? So I can kind of see where that's heading. Um, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with it. I, no. I just I don't see any weaknesses in Kepka's game. That's that's the thing. Mm. Every time we think, ah, oh, yeah, maybe he's not going to turn up for a major. The last what eight majors, he's been ridiculous. And yeah. they've all posed different challenges, and he's been able to answer them by and large. Yeah, oh, it's, with winning three at the same time. Yeah, it's, you know, it's impossible to to question his record in recent majors because he's just been so so strong. Just to let you know, here um, I'm looking at the variables that we're putting in the predictor for next week around firm golf courses. Mm. Number one would be Jason Day. Number two would be Dustin Johnson. Mm. Um, I can't see Kupka. He's a oh, he's t- he's in the top ten. Yeah, I only guess that's more to do with the fact that he has 
you know, he's clearly an elite player and he's, he's produced some results in those conditions. I think mm. I, I think Jason's probably um, probably right in that um, Kepka would prefer softer conditions, but um, doesn't mean that he doesn't win. You know, he's the bookies' favourite. He's you know he's got absolutely outstanding recent major record. So it's going to be very difficult to oppose. I think. What do um so okay Kepka over DJ but I'll I'll be frank with you I don't think I'm going to be tipping up either mm. that's I mean this is a guy that's tipped up Kepka at the last two majors that he's won but um I you know a run has to come to an end at some point but that's kind of where I am at mentally at the moment where are we on Tiger yeah again there's a bit of love for Tiger on the Facebook group I mean for me um. Again, it's, it's very difficult to to disregard. You know, he came into the USPGA with no um, no no practice, no you know, barely barely touched a golf play, did he? Um, since he since he exactly. won the Masters. Yeah, we've seen him in the meantime. We've seen a decent outing from him in the meantime, um, and uh, you know, it's quite possible that he's going to be. You know, in tip-top you know, condition to go and uh, have a real good go on a track that you know, if his game's right, he can absolutely obliterate the field and has done in the past. We know how good Tiger is when he, you know, on his historical golf courses, the ones that he's won on before. Hmm. You know, and he said something here's interesting. Some, here's some numbers for you. Uh-oh, Listen to here we go. Part. 10, 11, 13, 14. Those were the number of greens he hit across his rounds one to four at Muirfield Village. The game was just getting better and better and yeah. better and better. Yeah. He said that he said that in a post round as well to uh, Amanda Balionis. He said he felt his swing was getting back to where it was at the Masters. Um, yeah, so that's that's a very dangerous proposition. I. I I th- if I had to choose between the three of them, probably going Tiger. Yeah, and you're getting a you get a better price. You know, you're getting virtually double price on uh, on Tiger over over Brooks Kepka at the moment. Such is the way that Kepka has been playing at the majors. He was twenty. He was twenty sixth for strokes gain off the tee. And the main reason he was twenty sixth was he just he just took a little bit off his driving distance mm. than he usually does to him. But the, these were the numbers I found really really critical for him at Muirfield Village. He was twenty fifth for driving accuracy, which is good for Tiger. He was also uh, fifth for total driving, and he was fourth for all round. It's hard to argue with, no, really, no, isn't it's it? It's good. You know, if if you want some positive signs from a from a warm up event, then there's some very very positive signs in that. And he's going to be hugely popular next week, and quite rightly so. Mm. It's just the fact that you've got these two players ahead of him in the market that it's going to keep his price, um, you know, almost backable. I guess. I hope Dustin Johnson finishes second or third or wins this week. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I don't I've, look. I don't think he will. Looking at the leaderboard, <laughs> mate, he's got the ba- he's got the Bamford bucks on him. He's missing the cut. Hang on a sec, Steve. This is ridiculous. You told myself and Paul to stay away from the Canadian Open leaderboards, and there you are cheating on this with us. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I've been so well that's behaved. That's the advantage of being. That's the advantage of being the host, I suppose. 
Yeah. So we we like we like Tiger for next week. Is that what that's what we're generally saying? Yeah, I think so. It's, I hard, think so. it's hard not. To, yeah, I, 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 not that I think there's going to be any lengthening of his price. And why, why would the bookies lengthen his price? Because they know he's going to be back regardless. They're not going they're to. Not. They might as well yeah. keep him where he is, but uh, we might get some extra each way terms. And I guess if you're getting twelves, uh, twelve to one, and you can get ten places each way on that kind of price, then um, you know that's, that's probably a very strong bet for a top ten finish, isn't it? Given out, given what we've seen from him around these uh, these parts in the past, and the fact that he has a decent warm up event in, in decent health is. I can't, I can't, there's not, there's nothing I can say that's um, negative about his chances. I don't think. When when was the last time we saw sixteen to one about Rory McIlroy mm. for a major? Tells a story about his game, doesn't it? And again, firm and fast is not going to be Rory's cup of tea. I don't think. No, I mean, I was I was just about to kind of get to that, looking at Rory being the next and Speed the one after that. Are, are they ones that we can? start looking at just putting a line through. I mean, for me, Rory is one I just put a line through for next week. Yeah. Not happening. Not interested. No. I, there wasn't one mention of Rory on the uh, on the feedback on the Facebook group. Not one. No. And I think that tells the story. And, and I think as much as Speed is managing to eke out these results, there's still creaks there. Mm. And I think I think they can become very exposed to Pebble. He either pulls it all together, and he's he's there at the very death, and somehow has a miracle week. I, you know, not a miracle week, but an unbelievable week. It all comes together, or I think he um, he's kind of languishing a good bit back, maybe in thirtieth or thirty fifth or something like that. I I don't know. I just don't I don't quite see it there for him at the moment. It's got it, if if he does, it will be driven by a magical week on the greens and he is capable yeah. of producing and, he, and, and, and he's chipping and he's chipping yeah. and putting which is phenomenal yeah. at yeah. the moment because it's having to be yeah yeah and yeah, players can win tournaments they can win major championships by by just having you know the most incredible week on and around the greens but it will have to be but incredibly US strong no, exactly it's, it's, it, it would be an immense week I think for him to be to be winning We'll see. I mean, there was there was far more love for the likes of Patrick Cantlay than there was for for Spieth and McElroy and even Rose. Um, I think it was interesting with Spieth. He seems to have sorted his driving out a little bit. He was he was tenth for strokes gained t- uh, off the tee, twenty second for total driving. So he wasn't too bad off the tee la- uh, last week at Muirfield Village. Mm. It was just his approach play was absolutely unbelievably bad. He he was losing three point three strokes. He was 67th, 62nd for strokes gained approach. And then you know, and then he's 14th for strokes gained tee to green, which shows you how good his short game was. Yeah. And clearly, you know, it helps when you're putting at some ridiculous number that he still is. But that, to me, suggests that if speed's a factor this week, which he could be, he could well end up in the top 10 next week. I can see that. But whether that kind of game where you're, you're struggling to hit 50% of greens... Yeah, it's very, very difficult to win a, a US Open style event around Pebble Beach. I think when you're playing, you know, just so much from off the putting surface. Yeah, because well, that you know, you're, you're trying to make par. They're too evil, aren't yeah. they? You're trying it's to make par evil. each week, uh, each each hole, and you, you you've got to mm. put yourself in with 
chances of making you know a birdie here or there and if, you, if it's just scramble after scramble after scramble then it just wears you down eventually that takes us to another level then so we've got rose cantley fowler ram jason day and justin thomas mm. before we we've already spoken about xander he's next in the betting after those guys cantley i mean that guy's on fire yeah it has to be said Absolutely on fire, Patrick Cantler. Two top, he's he's had a top ten and a top five, isn't he, in his last two majors? Could we be and in the situation unbelievable. where do you remember, do you remember last year, Molinari? And I said if Molinari goes on and wins the the open championship, we'll all look back at it and say, Well, of course he won it. Yeah. Look at what he was doing beforehand. Winning, winning, unbelievable form. I mean if Cantley goes on to win, we'll all be sitting there going, uh, "Yeah, of course." It's just can you can you take him at you know he's a short sixteen to one, but if you, twenty twenty two to one maybe you'll get on Monday next week. It just feels incredibly short to me. That's what you said before, Francesco. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know this this is the game, isn't it? You look at it and you know. It, 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 it's like that Twitter Ferrari on Monday. Everyone going, oh, I can't believe. Oh, I was on Cantley. Oh, I wasn't on Cantley. His price was rubbish. You know, everyone has their own opinion. There's no right or no wrong, mm-hmm. is there? It's just your own personal view on what you want. You're prepared to yeah. back on. But at the end of the day, eighth stroke gains off the tee. Fifth in strokes gain approach. Second strokes gain tee to green. He was fourth for driving distance. Eleventh for GIR. Seventeenth for total driving and first for all mm-hmm. round. You I mean you're struggling to poke? any kind of holes in that performance last yeah. week. And he was decent enough around Beth Page to hang around on that horrible Sunday when it was blowing 25 miles an hour. And he he, he just hung around to the end, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was good. It was, it was good, strong performance. And as you say, he's been improving in the majors as well. It's, it, there's little reason to think that he won't, you know, or can't top 10 which if you're going for an each way bet is is exactly what, you, what you're looking for with a, with an outside chance of winning a golf tournament but, um... just to take you through his um, pebble performances in the AT&T 2018 he shot 72-71 for one under 71-72 in 2017 for one under but there was a number further back when I think he was still even an amateur or he just turned pro 2013 he shot 72-67 for a five under total around Pebble, mm. finishing the top 10 that week on the on the national. So he's got six competitive rounds from California, knows the golf course. So he has that experience. And as Barry said, he's the kind that when he win, if he was to win next Sunday and you weren't on him, you'd be sitting there going, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't back him. <laughs> it's one of those, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Will you be backing him, Barry? I might have to after saying that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, yeah. It's one of those statements to come back and bite you on the ass if you don't do it. There's, there's worse prices to win a major champion at than oh, 20 yeah, to 1, so. isn't there? Yeah. 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 Because if I'm, if I'm thinking this through correctly, Tiger Woods was a best price of 16, but more generally 14s and 12s when he won at the, uh, Augusta. And Brooks Kepka, you'd struggle to get anything north of eleven to one. Now, clearly, you've got guys there that have won major titles in multi, in numerous amounts. 
uh, whether you whether you think twenty to one is a good price on a guy to win his first major, that's the the sticking point, mm. isn't it? That is the sticking point. What price was Francesco when he won last year? Oh, it the was Open? the same kind of. It, it was low twenties. Yes, eighteen twenties. Yeah, thereabouts. Depends what firm you went with, but yeah, I think he might have been as short as sixteens. But then that price was reflective of where his game was at the time. He yeah. was. Would you take guys Patrick Cantley at twenties, or would you take Ricky Fowler or John Rahm at twenty fives, and Jason Day at twenty eights? I mean, there's a question for you. Oh, Cantley, right yeah, now. Yeah, Cantley. Um, Rahm again. We've, we've we've gone. You know, we've made the same point over and over again. But I just don't think his mentality is going to be cut out for a firmer, fast. Pebble Beach, Ricky. We've talked about his performances, or, you know, his few performances and lack lack of um, attendances at uh, Pebble Beach, which tells a story potentially. Uh, Jason Day's zapped to pull out after three hours as he is to contend, and he won't be carrying my money. But um, yeah, I, out of those, it would be it would be Cantley for me. I just I, the sticking point is his price, and I, I look down that, and I said, "Well, do you know, I'd, I'd still rather back Xander out of um, any of those players at that kind of price, and be done with it. Take my chance with Xander, the X Man." Okay, what are your views on this kind of deeper range? We're talking thirty threes up to fifties. Francesco, Adam Scott, Tommy Fleetwood, Hideki. Well, we know about Hideki. Bryson DeChambeau, Tony Finau, and we've also got the one and only Phil Mickelson, and you can throw Paul Casey in that mix as well. Anyone there apart from Hideki interesting? Any of you guys? Or either of you guys? I think Adam Scott's got to be worthy of close attention, hasn't he, after last week? It's been some, been some positive signs with Scott, hasn't it? He's, his long game's in great shape. Yeah, yeah. Oh, his approach play was devilish, wasn't it? There was a stage there where Cantley had got a, a decent enough lead where you're kind of sitting there going, hey, no one's going to touch him. And all of a sudden, I think it was a par five, wasn't it? And he's hit it to like six feet mm. with his second shot. And you're thinking, oh, God, no, stop it, Adam. Stop it. <laughs> then he does it on the next hole. Stop it, Adam. Stop it. His, his approach play was magnificent. Yeah, and you know, I think this being able to leave the uh, leave the pin in um, has uh, leave the flag sticking has been um, has been really positive for Adam Scott, and you can see he leaves he leaves it in uh, virtually every putt, doesn't he? And it gives him clearly gives him some confidence aesthetically to take in and make more of his putts. And we know he can be really strong from tee to green. When he plays good golf, he is strong from tee to green. But if you couple that with even a middling putting performance, um, he's going to be contending. And it, it's, you know, that wasn't just a one-off last week, was it? He's, he's been in the mix quite a few times this season without getting over the line yet. It's been indecent. If you're still not, I'm not saying you personally, Paul, but if if people are still of the opinion that he can't putt, um, he's 20 second for yeah. strokes game putting this season on the PJ yeah. Tour. Yeah, you know, it's an outdated view now. No, no, no. Um, he isn't Jordan Spieth, but he's making more than his fair yeah. share. Yeah, he's making enough to uh, to to give himself a chance mm. of winning these golf tournaments. I don't know if I don't know if Pebble pays to his strengths though. For me, he's more of a soft. He's more of a soft course, longer kind of format bully, mm. which was kind of what last week was. 
where was um, it was living, wasn't it? Where he was, um, he was right up. Um, yeah. uh, well, he should have won the golf tournament, shouldn't he? he? Should have won the Open Championship before we made those late, but late bird bogeys and that um, Ernie Els through. It's interesting if you try and draw some lines between that event and this. You know, you've obviously got the Els factor, and Els, um, as we said right at the top of the show, has got two decent finishes here at Pebble Beach and. Um, in the US Open, you know, Schnedeker clearly, who is another one of the players that was uh, was right in the mix that year, wasn't he? Um, he's got an outstanding Pebble Beach record, and then clearly Adam Scott should have won should have won the Open Championship. So you know, if you draw some kind of tentative lines between those three players who uh, appeared on those leaderboards, perhaps uh, perhaps there's a strong case to make for Adam Scott. Thirty three to one. Uh, uh, Ernie Els uh, won that. Adam Scott clearly threw it away, mm. didn't he? Uh, third was Branch Snedeker. Ring any bells? Third was Tiger Woods. Ring any bells? Fifth, G Mac. <laughs> are yeah. you making a that's course a bad, correlation that's, that's here? That's not a bad leaderboard. It's a strong leaderboard for correlation. Are you making a course correlation here, Steve? <laughs> yeah. uh, ninth was ninth was Dustin Johnson. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that could... there's a hell of a lot of links there between Pebble Beach and Royal Lytham, mm. isn't there? Yeah. Just looking at that leaderboard. Yes. Mm. I mean, other players in that again. One of the players who got a mention quite a bit on the uh, the group was Phil Mickelson, um, and uh, yeah, I guess again you, you look at players who've got a strong Pebble Beach record, and it's difficult to dispute it, isn't it? Again, one was it was it the fourth time that he's won at Pebble when he won earlier this year? And going back to some quotes, John Woolley said. Um, Lefty's going to complete his personal Grand Slam next week on his favourite course. And, uh, you know, does that still prey on his mind, Lefty? You know, given he's getting close to 50 now, isn't he? And, uh, you know, he's trying to prove his bravado um, more than uh, more than anything else on the, uh, on the golf course at the moment. I don't know. Do you think that plays on his mind, the, uh, the personal Grand Slam element? Even though he's coming to Pebble, where he clearly loves it. Oh, I'd say it has to. I mean, all those, what, six second places in US? Oh, is man, that it? Yeah. Six second places in US Opens? Yeah. The it's heartbreak, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it, it, it. It's in his head. It's keeping him up at night. And he's doing everything possible to to, to put himself in a position to win it. Um, won't have my money, but it seems the bookies are all over the place. <clears throat> I'm seeing prices ranging from. 33s all the way to 50s. Yeah, 50s out there at the moment. Lower. Sorry, 25s all the way to 50s. So, um, yeah, yeah there's a, a lot, of, lot of different opinions out there on them. That's a wild... Actually, there's 20 to 1 with one firm. That's yeah, some wild, wild variances, isn't it? Yeah, and th- th- then again, this is this goes back to what we were saying in the last couple of shows about having... Uh, you know, accounts with a few different bookmakers, or, or certainly just looking mm. across the the market for yeah. value. And you know, instead of going yeah. to your local shop, uh, you can go to one just a little bit further away, or down the or another one down the road, and get a much better price and maybe better um, place terms as well. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah, there's going to be some big choices to make, I think, next week as to how you play these, uh, how you play these markets, given the uh, given the terms that will be on offer. Undoubtedly, from uh, well, maybe even from tomorrow, Friday, but uh, certainly as we get uh, towards Monday. 
Yeah, I think you'll see a lot of is action it? on Saturday, right? Once mm. the cut's been made for Canada, you start to see them really pick up the pace, kind of maybe Friday evening and Saturday. Definitely you'll see a yeah. lot of things uh, started, starting to drop. Yeah, no one's blinked Steve, yet. Is there, name deep, the... deep, is there a name deeper in the betting that interests you? I've I'm just gonna... a couple that I've kind of glimpsed that I've got an interest in. Yeah, on Paul Kevin Ca- Noll? You're on Paul Casey, Steve? <laughs> no, I won't be on Paul Casey, no. <laughs> Um, I changed my opinion of Paul Casey after he pulled out with the flu the other week. I'm sure it was genuine. I'm sure that he felt very poorly. I've changed my opinion on Paul. I said before that I'd never back Paul Casey at a major. I've now changed my opinion to I will never back Paul Casey ever again. Oh, he's finally made the shit list. <laughs> I've made he's made the he's made the SHIT bucket. And right. he, they don't tend to come out of there, it has to be said. A few players that I might fancy at a longer price. I think Kevin Nair, after that colonial performance, which was top draw, mm. Kevin Nair's got a decent AT&T pebble record, and he's top 10 in US Opens before. He's the sort that can just scramble and put himself around a golf course. I kind of think he's almost like a Jordan Speed type, bearing in mind they both won at Colonial, but clearly nowhere near that level. But Nair must be absolutely brimming full of confidence, and I'm seeing 125 to 1 about mm. Nair. Um, I also think Branch Schnedeker, to me, he's almost an auto bet because he's got such a great record. That price, if he shows up in Canada this evening and starts playing well at the RBC, yeah. I don't think you're going to get 80 to 1 about Branch Snedeker. Yeah. Paul and I kept our eye on the prices this week. There was 100 to 1 about him yesterday, and that's all been snapped up already. Yeah, he's pretty well, I've got an anti post on him. So You've got him as well, Paul. You picked him up as well, anti-post as well, Paul, didn't you? I, no, I backed him this week for the uh, okay. for the Canadian. So, um, but yes, yeah, so ah. if, if he does does start well, which I'm clearly I'm hoping he will do anyway, um, then I might have to just dive in quickly for the um, for the U.S. Open um, and not wait for the extended terms, which is what I really I want to be holding out for. But we'll see. The other one that would interest me and one that will never stack up statistically. You've always told me this about him, Paul. But clearly, he has got a flavour for it, and we know he is top notch mentally. It would be Matt Wallace, yeah. and you've said you've said to me, Paul, U.S. Open suits him down to the ground, and we saw that at the PGA Championship, yeah. which was clearly a very high scoring event where um, it was difficult to make birdies, especially on the um, on the Sunday when he clung around and hung around. Yeah. Eighty to one about Matt Wallace. Yeah, no, is is um, in terms of mentality, that's it's he's got that kind of U.S. Open mentality, I think. Um, yeah, I can't can't dispute it. He was another one of the longer shots who were mentioned on the um, on the Facebook group. Wallace was one of those who was mentioned quite a bit. Shane Lowry was another one who was mentioned quite a bit as well. Yeah, he's playing yeah. well. And, um, you know, he's got he's got a chance this week, I think, in in Canada. So, yeah, I couldn't dispute that. I don't think. I'll ask this one to Barry because I know that you're into player psyche and getting your head around things like that. Where do you think Martin Keimer will be? after last week at Muirfield Village. Do you think he'll be in a positive frame of mind or do you think actually the way it all ended and the way it finished, that will actually be a negative to him? You see, I don't think it was a total collapse. No, I didn't I didn't see that. You know, he, he made a couple of bogeys on a golf course that's no pushover. You know, it's, uh, it offers up birdies, but only if you're hitting the right shots. Um, I think I think the strength of Cantlay's finish will kind of help 
alleviate uh, or maybe minimize yeah. the number of nightmares he's going to have about it. Yeah. He's not going to feel great, um, obviously, because he he had the lead and was in the right position to do it. But um, he's going to he can only take confidence or he should only take confidence from from what he did last week. And, you know, naturally, there were some nerves that surfaced when um, when, when things were starting to heat up and. Um, you know, he'll he'll be kind of grateful to get that feeling mm-hmm. again, to you know, to feel that kind of tension and nerves and go, oh, this is what it's like, you know. Um so yeah, I look if if of course it's gonna be hard to take everything at a hundred percent, you know, or to to eliminate all of the bad things that happened to him like, you know, on Sunday, those bogeys and yeah. that was pretty much a shank. But um if, the if, weakest yeah. part of his game last week, despite him finishing third, was his driving. Mm. That's the only thing that would put me off with him arriving in Pebble. It, it was good to see him in the mix, and I think he's going to come forward from that. He's going to be a real danger at some tournaments, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, it um, it did look it did look start to look suspect as the pressure started to build on Sunday. The driving, yeah. just the swing, just and they've absolutely they've slashed his price, haven't they? Sixty sixes in a lot of places. Yeah, not interested. No. So hang on, here we go. Like, okay, Graham McDowell is the Pebble Beach US Open defending champion. He has not been playing poorly the last no. few weeks. He's going to a course. I mean, we all know what GMAC is like when he goes to a course that he knows he can compete on. Yeah. There's so many courses. He just he's he's one of those short hitting guys, and he just knows I can't compete. But it's like a, the Brian Gay effect or the Brian Davis effect gets to that one of six or seven courses in the year, he goes, okay, this is my week, and turns it on. Plus, he's gone back with all those good vibes about Pebble. If you, could, you know, hundred for, for a fun bet, if you can get him, say, what was he, 125 to 1. If you can get 125 to 1, 10 places, I think there were, you know, it's, it could be partisan as well. Um, me talking, even though but, he hasn't been brilliant of late, yeah, he still ad- averages on those statistics I've pulled together, yeah, at the AT&T. He still averages sixty nine point eight around for his Pebble. five rounds of around Pebble since the U.S. Open victory. He can't. I said this to Paul this morning. He he plays Pebble Beach exceptionally well. Yeah. Mm. I mean, if you want to be going in with a, a good mind, you know, somebody he's probably top three or four going into that tournament with like positive vibes or most positive vibes. Uh, yeah. Dustin Johnson was 11th in those rankings I was talking about earlier. Nate Lashley, if you're looking for a real curveball, Nate Lashley was is 12th. Graham McDowell, 13th, 69.8. He does know how to play that goal. Yeah, ball, he does. Undoubtedly. Yeah. Yeah. No hindrance in terms of... Uh, and as, as Barry said, he's actually had a really positive season, hasn't he, Jim? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That win down at Corrales and... He's he's been a lot more leaderboards than than he hasn't. Oh, and he still wants to get himself into the uh, open at Port Rush, doesn't he? He's got to find he's yeah. got to find his way in there one way or another. One big week this week, at next week, uh, top top fifteen even might might get him. Well, yeah, he'll have a target. I don't know yeah. how it works. I don't know how it works. Oh yeah. yeah. So what would he the, need to do to get into he's the qualify, open? Because I don't think he can get his ranking up. Alison, if he goes out and gets a top six or seven. Yeah, could do it. There's ways and means, isn't it? Mm. 
the RNA seem adamant they're not going to give him a special exemption, which that, I think that's kind of good. You know, they stick to their guns. They're, they're, you know, the criteria are there, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's got his own, he's got his own he's, place. He's still a competitive golfer, isn't he? Yeah. He's still a golfer yeah. that can win tournaments on the PGA Tour. They shouldn't be handing out exemptions to players like that, should they? In my opinion. He's 121st in the world golf ranking. So in the best will in the world, he's not going to get into the top 50 and qualify that way. He's going to have to go for open qualifying. Yeah. Or what, it's one of these tournaments now, isn't it? One of these tournaments around the world where he can get in the yeah, top yeah, yeah. finish in the top, qualifying yeah, the top series, seven. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the top three not already qualified... Yeah. Are there any others out there in the the long odds range that catch your eye? Tyrrell Hatton's a bit of a grinder. Yeah, yeah. There are a few mentions for Hatton actually. Horschel's another one who's mentioned. Um, Danny Willett was mentioned. Stu Brackley um, mentioned Danny Willett. Finding his form again, 250 to 1. He said, absolutely crazy price. Um, I have had the... Uh, Canadian Open leaderboard sitting six, yeah. six, yeah, I know, sixth on the leaderboard. Yeah, right and now. he was, yeah, he's finding, he's finding something. He was, yeah. he, he was, he was top of it. He, he got himself to four under a few seconds ago, but dropped back a little bit. But, but yeah, he's he's clearly in the mix. Early doors in Canada, and uh, that two hundred and fifty to one is still hanging about right now, three o'clock on Thursday afternoon, and for Danny, will it? I guarantee Jeff Feinberg over in Canada will be on Pat Mayo's show. He'll be all over oh, yeah. Danny Willett at that price next yeah. week. That won't be there for no, long. No, I think that's right. Well, especially no. after that's the, a good shout, Danny Willett. He met him as well. He was, was on Jeff's uh, Twitter this mm. morning. Was it? Was oh, it yesterday? Yeah. yeah. Big well, happy Jill. face photo with Danny Willett. <laughs> well, Jill. We'll have to do that at Wentworth. Try and get some players to have selfies with us. Oh, that'll be easy. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. It won't be in the beer tent, <laughs> which is where we tend to find ourselves. But anyway, yeah. I think that just about does it. Any Anything that we've missed? Anything that we want to get out there for the for the listeners before we move our separate ways? Just g- give the listeners what, what kind of course correlations could they look at between now and making their picks? So we've got Tari Pines helps, yeah. Well, I've got a piece on the preview. Again, I will put a link through to my US Open preview in the description box. Um, it's difficult. I mean, uh, I, I took this solely on the basis of looking at Graham McDowell and Tiger Woods and what play, courses they've played well at, yeah? That isn't mm. that easy because they're quite different kinds of players. But the, the, the courses that came jumping out were Kapalua. Um, G-Max finished third there. Tiger Woods has won there couple of times second place that won't surprise you pga national where they played a honda classic they both uh, i think woods has only played there once and has finished second gmat's got a fifth sixth and a ninth yeah mm-hmm. the blue monster at doral four wins for tiger woods gmax finished third and sixth there when it was world golf championship event uh bay hill eight wins for tiger gmax had a couple of second places so there's a good one bay hill i think matsuama's got some links to some of these courses it's just kind of springing up uh, what about St Andrews? You've got Shazan over in China. Woods has done well there, so's GMAC. And there's a really freaky one. You know they used to play the old uh, Chevron Challenge, which was they still play it. Yeah. It's that event that they now play at Albany, the Tiger yeah. Challenge. Mm. Both of them, uh, Sherwood Country Club on Poana Greens out in Los Angeles. Tiger Woods won there five times. 
GMAC won there twice, finished second there and sixth there. Yeah, and there was that year where, he, um, where it was him versus he Tiger, beat wasn't it? Tiger, yeah, didn't he? That. You got it, yeah. Hmm. When you actually look at those leaderboards, you can get quite excited about it, but there's not any names on there that kind of really shout at me. I mean, Paul Casey's in the top five there, players like that, and you think... Mm. <laughs> no, but it might give you a, might give you a type of player as opposed to an actual player name. Zach Johnson used to go very well at Sherwood Country Club, and if Zach was showing anything at the moment, he would be quite ripe, I think, but he's really struggling, Zach Johnson, these days, mm. isn't he? Yeah, it's not quite right. Seems to master one skill set and then the other one collapses. He just can't get that all-round performance together at the moment. But yeah, so there's some tracks for you. I mean, Kapalua, uh, PJ National, the Honda Classic, Bay Hill, Doral, uh, any any form on those kind of Florida tracks. T- they're tough tracks, aren't yeah. they? They're tough tracks, yeah, yeah. yeah? It takes a certain type of mindset, doesn't it, and approach to, mm. to be able to master those tougher technical tracks. It's interesting with Danny Willett because they mentioned St Andrews. I know Willett's got some decent form around St mm-hmm. Andrews. So, and he also finished third at a World Golf Championship at Doral. Yeah, there might be worse long shots there than you Danny go. What two fifty? Mm. In fact, I might have to log on now. <laughs> don't but don't worry, Barry. Paul will be taking him on the exchange at three eighty. Three, oh, I mean, that's and then not and then not being able to trade out of it in any way, shape, or form. Because yeah, nobody. He's three forty right now, Paul. So yeah, mm. I, but he's drifting. So this is good. This is good for you. <laughs> so yeah, correlating courses. I think that's it. Um, when I think clearly, people will be asking when do we think our next podcast, inc- including our tips, will be out. I think it's going to be out. It'll either be out Monday evening or Tuesday morning. Yeah. Of next week. Excellent. That's that's us then, isn't it? Indeed. Yes. Look forward to next week. Oh yeah, I'm really looking forward to this when it has to be said. I think it should be an absolute beaut of a major. And as long as we mention every single golfer in the field, we'll have we'll have picked a winner. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the important thing, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We must, yeah. We must, we must I Sam, <laughs> Sam Saunders. Must have done a good thirty Sam today. Is he in the top one? Is Peter he in the top Manhattan. eight? Is he the top eighty in the world? Yeah. Look, let's <laughs> let's uh, let's let our heads kind of settle on all of this over the weekend and make our picks and um, make our okay. make our case on Monday or Tuesday for them. Barry, thank you. Paul, thank you. Much appreciated. We will be back again next week for our US Open tip show. Thank you to the listeners. Don't forget, please rate and review us. We'll mention you. We'll we'll read out your uh, comments at the start of the US Open show. Thank you. Goodbye.